Hi, it's Joel Pilger, and you're listening to episode 92 of the Rev Thinking Podcast. It's a very delicate ecosystem, but really, now I really see it quite differently. Like, my job as the owner is to make sure the company is healthy. It's almost like I've started to see it as like a child or a person that I am caretaker of. Welcome to Rev Thinking the podcast for creative entrepreneurs who know the best way to deal with the future is to create it. This is the conversation between creative leaders and consultants discussing what it really takes to run a thriving creative business. Well, here we are continuing our march towards episode 100. Very much excited to be counting down episodes 91 through 99, where I'm interviewing some of the top leading minds in our industry. So these are business owners, thought leaders, people that run studios and production companies, creative agencies, and the like. And today, it is my great honor to interview Aaron Sarofsky at Sarofsky. Now, Aaron, I really like because, first of all, I don't know Aaron all that well. I was recently introduced to her, but I've been watching her career from afar for some time now. And it's funny how... For a long time, I thought of her studio as somewhat of an outlier being based in Chicago because Chicago is known for being an ad town, perhaps more than a town that is producing content for uh, entertainment, for broadcast, those kinds of things. And that was always interesting to me to see the work that Aaron's studio was producing in Chicago. And of course, nowadays, this whole question of location is increasingly irrelevant. So our, our discussion today was is different because in the past we might have talked about location and how does your location influence your studio and your talent base and the type of people that you're surrounding yourself with. But amidst the pandemic that we're in right now, it's funny how location is just not nearly as interesting as it used to be. So Aaron and I get into a lot of other far more interesting topics. And more than anything, I think the takeaway you're going to come away with after listening to Aaron is recognizing what it means to be a creative leader. Yes, she's a business owner. Yes, she's obviously a stellar creative, but it's this combination creative leader. And I think also, interestingly, you might hear something similar in your story, in your journey, similar to Aaron's. And that is, Many owners of studios and production companies, they are almost running a business as a necessary evil. It's a means to an end where the the founder starts a business because the founder seeks freedom, seeks opportunity, seeks reward for their efforts. And the, the, the way to do that is to start a business. But then, of course, Over the years, as the business grows and evolves, the responsibilities magnify, the complexity greatly increases, and there's a moment where the owner can decide, I don't like this, I'm going to stay small, I'm frustrated by this, I just want to keep being a creative person. Or some people decide, I do love this, and I see that I can build something larger than myself into which others can plug into. And therefore, they have to take on a whole new set of roles and responsibilities and evolving as a business person. And I I really think of Aaron as one of these type people that 
yes, a great creative, but also a really strong leader uh, who is leading her business into the future. So I hope you enjoy this most interesting conversation with Aaron Sarosky at Sarosky. When people look at your studio from the outside, right, they see all this beautiful work and they go, wow, pretty pictures, all this, that, and the other. Um, but what is it you tell, say, your mom or <laughs> your kids uh, that what you really do at your studio? What is it really doing? What's, what's, what's the business uh, actually doing other than making pretty pictures? So with outsiders, I tell them what we make. Oh, we make commercials. We make um, pieces of movies or television shows. And then I'll usually reference like a pretty famous open like Community or Shameless. And they're like, oh, my God, somebody does that. And it's like, yeah. And, and then I'll be like, oh, you know, like car commercials when lines fly around it and a price point comes up. Like we do those, too. <laughs> and um, and that's what I I say, you know what I mean, to any outsider, and it gets them all excited. But yeah, of course. Yeah, that's very, very top line. And then when you, when you uh, sort of in your more deeper introspective moments, think about what you really do on a daily basis. What's the problem that you solve? Like, what's the thing that you're like? I keep coming back to this. There's this riddle. I keep trying to solve or a, a problem or there's something I want to accomplish what's what what's in there yeah well I mean it's just that it's problem solving I mean that's really what it is every day we get multiple phone calls that say I have this client that needs this by this time these are the deliverables this is how much money we have and then my job is to say okay well with that, 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 and that, this is what we can accomplish. Um, and if we can do more, bigger, better, we will. But this is what I'm promising we can do for you. And I know like our creative process will always be more than what I promise, you know, output more than what I promise. Um, Cause I have like total faith in that. But but yeah, it's it's really just problem solving. And I love it when they come earlier with their problem, when when it's not, a completely fully flushed out board when it's just, hey, I, I'm starting with this idea. I haven't even pitched it yet. Aaron, what do you think of this? How would we make it? You know, these people don't typically have a lot of money. Is there a style or a technique or, you know, how how would I make this? I love that. Yeah, I'm uh, a, a phrase that I use to describe that is where you're not just tackling the project, you're solving the problem. I'm curious if that resonates with you. Yeah. I mean, you know, the difference between, I always talk about this, but the difference between an artist and a designer or designer director is where we're not just out there making stuff, hoping people buy it. There is like a clear goal and purpose behind what we're doing. And we can do it artfully and beautifully and with integrity. Um, but it's, to achieve a business objective for somebody and a creative objective for somebody, branding objective. So, and I think that's like why I'm so proud I have such a diverse portfolio. I'm not just applying the same thing, studio look to every project. I'm really looking at each one as its own unique thing. Well, part of what I heard you saying back there a second ago was we like to be brought in earlier. I love when that happens. 
right? We're trying to create something artistic. And I almost hear you saying, you're almost describing to me the clients that you most like working with or the types of problems you love solving. Because I, my guess is that you, you get lots of opportunities, but you don't necessarily say yes or pursue them all. What, what, is, what is it that you look for that you say, now that's a juicy problem we can sink our teeth into? I feel like over the years that's changed. Um, There are certain projects that just pop up that you're like, oh my God, I have to do that. As an artist, I have to work on that. My my team is going to love that or that's going to win an Oscar. We got to be in the mix on that, right? Like there's that. But as I grow older and more mature, I think I appreciate more and more the relationships that I've made with clients that have now become our friends that feel like they can call me and talk very early stages in a project and get my opinion. And they know that it's just Aaron they're talking to, not a sales rep. You know, I'm, mm. I'm not necessarily solving the problem so that it's something that's going to come to the studio. I'm just talking to them about what they have going on. And I, I love that. And that to me is how you build long relationships you know, really long relationships. Because if we're not the studio for something or I maybe I do have artists that are great for that, but they're not available right now, I'll be like, now's not the time for this. You should take it so-and-so, you know? Well, you just, you, you just teed up one of my favorite, call it rabbit trails. Because when you mentioned not talking to a salesperson, what I heard you saying was, I have a relationship with someone and there's a conversation that happens and it almost sounds consultative rather than pitchy or, you know, like you're just hustling. And has it always been that way? I'm curious, right? When you think back down through the years, has it always been that way since you started? Or has it increasingly become more and more like I have relationships and I consult people on their creative problems? Right. Well, I can say without a fact that the company has grown, how it's grown based on repeat clients. Like whenever I get on a call, we're talking about stuff from like five years ago or 10 years ago, how's this? Oh my God, your kid's going to college. Like it's actually hard to focus on phone calls about the jobs when I'm on the call. Cause like, um, so I, I, that has been me from the beginning. For me, projects are like, you're all in, it's like a mini war especially live action. Oh my gosh. But like you have all these battles you got to fight for your kerning and your letting and your typography and the size of the logo and, and you're working with them in a, as a team for like the greater good. Oh my gosh. I'm geeking out to hear you talk about making a battling over kerning and letting. I love that. (laughs) You know, but the the work I'm most proud of is the work that I've helped evolve over the years. So like in the early days of the studio, we did a lot for GM. And if you look back to the first spot, the the end logo is huge. It's just in 4-3. It's like enormous. And it was, you know, but the next campaign, it got a little smaller. And then the next campaign, it got a little smaller. And it went from being like a salesy typeface to maybe more of a slab serif to more of it. And by the, after two years, it looked pretty slick to a point where I was like, maybe we're making it a little too small. 
<laughs> you know, and we'd have those conversations and, you know, me and the agency um, creative would laugh about it because it's like, wow, we've trained them. It took two years, but we got it there, you know. So that's the, that's that's an encouragement to all the uh, all the artists and and owners out there who are constantly fielding that request. Make the logo bigger. It's like it's it's a process. You can't win every battle, but but Aaron, you're telling us you can win the war. <laughs> you can win the war, and usually, like, make the logo bigger just means my brand's not resonating. So maybe the background needs to be quieter. Maybe. It's shine needs to go across it. Not that that's the answer for everything. Maybe there's an audio cue that can help it. So I like to hear like what's behind the, the note than just the note. Hmm. Well, so you talked about a lot of those relationships being long, you know, long lasting going, going back a few, a few years. Uh, when, when were you, what was the year you were officially in business as your, as your studio? January 2009. 2009. Okay, so you're you're just on the other side of uh, of a decade. Yeah, we're just now. entering puberty. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, feels like it too, right? <laughs> well, I have to, I have to ask this, like when you when you started there's always some sort of an idea or something that that drove you to be crazy enough to say, "Hey, I'm going to Go start my own thing. And I'm curious to hear, is that original dream or hope still intact? Or has it evolved a lot and, and it's something different today? Um, well, I, I've never aspired to be a studio owner. I've definitely hmm. aspired to be a creative leader, a um, creative director, but... You know, when I was at DK, I just wanted to to run jobs there, to produce work there, to eventually make more money there. You know, I, I wanted to be a creative leader and to run my own jobs. So like this idea of owning a company was never something that was, I have to do this. I think when I was at a point where I was in New York and I really had missed Chicago and I knew I wanted to come back because... I'd really built a life for myself here and I just loved it. You know, I resonated here and, um, and I was like, Oh no, like, what am I going to do to work? Like I want to work at a studio like DK or like Superfed where I was, but I, I desperately wanted it to be in Chicago and really the environment around at that time was still very post house centric. They all had like, upstart design kind of departments but I just I wanted design to be the focus and I wanted people not to be coming to us because they already have a relationship with a post house I wanted there to be a point of view that they were looking for so I was like I'll start my own company like super naively I had um I had talent I knew I had talent so I knew like I could run a job I could be thoughtful about it um produce beautiful outcome right and uh I knew uh, a rep here in Chicago who rep DK was no longer repping DK and she was like I can get you some work here and there and I didn't need a lot I knew everybody in Chicago I knew all the freelancers so I could staff up when I needed it and it it just kind of started in my living room in my condo <laughs> so well in a way I almost hear that it was um it was a means to an end called 
I want to have some self-determination. I want to have some control. I obviously, I want to earn a living. So I guess I'll start my own thing. Yeah, there was no long-term plan. There was no business plan. There was no long-term plan. I will say that the thing about me that is probably smart is that I pay for advice and then I follow it, even if my heart tells me not to. So like if my lawyer pushes me a direction or my accountant says you can't take work like this anymore, it's like heartbreaking, but I do it, you know, and it's, it's always worked out good for me in that way. Well, it, yeah, it, it's uh, I'm, I'm hearing that, what is it, necessity is the mother of invention sort of moment for you called, I'm going to start this thing and I'm going to figure it out. Uh, but here's the thing that I think is interesting is I'm sure you've had moments, especially probably in guessing year three or four or five when you realized, okay, wait a minute, I wanted to launch a studio, but I'm running a business and oh my gosh. Yeah, that it's happened in varying degrees along the way. You know, you kind of learn different lessons at different points. I'm luckily a pretty bright person, left brain, right brain. I'm and that's probably why I'm a successful designer, because I think about the problem and not just like what I want to make that's all pretty. Um, so, yeah, like as, as you go, you're like, oh, now we need payroll. Now we need HR. Now we need, you know, all these things. And then you kind of get somebody that understands that and they help you build it. And then you bring in somebody to run it. And it really sucks when when somebody competent leaves. <laughs> in those areas because those aren't my areas of expertise so you're just like oh god who's gonna run payroll you know oh yeah well said you're right because when you it's it's a this is what i call focusing on your genius and you delegate everything else and when you find somebody just the other day i was talking about how for me it was operations when i found the person that was a genius in operations i couldn't believe there was somebody that actually loved taxes and contracts and IT and all that that mess. And then uh, when you integrate that person, it's it's incredibly synergistic. But like you said, you're always, always in this risky place where that person one day says, hey, it's time for me to go. And you're like, oh, no, because guess what? That all comes rolling back onto your plate, doesn't it? It's not like when you have a like a designer that's not the right fit, you can shuffle things around. When you have somebody in operations that's not a right fit, it is catastrophic. Like, <laughs> catastrophic I, it sounds like there's you have some stories you could tell oh, there, so many stories but like you know company culture is a really big deal so and you know the way somebody talks to you as a business owner is totally different than how they're going to talk to everybody else and that's something that i've had to like when i'm like oh but that person's so nice they're like everybody hates her <laughs> and you're like oh my god what's going on i'm always there. the last to know now it's amazing yeah yeah that's an interesting point you talk about because you are building this culture and i'm sure you've had this as you, your team has grown and sometimes you bring in somebody who has that genius say in operations but that person speaks a totally different language than all these creative people and you, you have to manage the, the all those siblings in a way Oh, yeah. Well, company culture is really important. I think for me, at least like when somebody is really competent at their job and really committed and caring, the team is very accepting of people being quirky and interesting and weird. You know, um, I think it's 
it's like when somebody's not committed or not competent that I think people are a little bit turned off. So frustrated, yeah. So I I'm almost hearing you answer this question. I was, uh, or maybe. Coming back to this question I was asking earlier about, you had sort of this dream when you started, and the dream may have been as simple as, hey, I just need some freedom and some control and to earn a living. But now I hear you saying things like, well, I am building something that has a culture and a reputation and so forth. So if I was going to say, well, Aaron, that dream has evolved to today, what, what's, what, how how is how has it shifted? How has it changed? Yeah. Well, I'm now officially the mother of dragons. <laughs> so I don't know. Like it's like I we we laugh. We call it a matriarchy, or I laugh and call it a matriarchy, and maybe everybody rolls their eyes. But um, I've very much realized that it's a very delicate ecosystem, and that you know, I I never really thought like a company had a like a persona or it was just a place where all these people got together. I always thought it's like all these individuals that like make it something, but really now I really see it quite differently. Like my job as the owner is to make sure the company is healthy. It's healthy in a lot of different aspects. It's healthy financially. It's healthy uh, culturally. It's got a good balance of um, creative and executional work. Um, So, And if any of one of those things falls out of sync, it's my job to call it and take care of it because it will spoil the feeling of the company, like the emotional integrity (laughs) and physical integrity of the company. And it's, it's almost like I've started to see it as like a child or a person that I am caretaker of. Um, So it's definitely different than it was back then for me. I mean, it's a, it's a totally different thing because if something's like hurting how things are flowing, like I absolutely have to fix it, whether it's a person or a job or a specific client that, you know, no more of that person kind of thing. Like it's got to get taken care of and you got to show your team that it's being taken care of and that you're aware of the problem. And, you know, some problems can't be solved overnight, but just them knowing you're aware of it and that you're going to fix it in the long run is going to be a huge, a huge thing. Well, I'm chuckling because I'm thinking of how many people there probably are in the world that look at you from the outside in and they say, oh, really talented creative director, director, and that's what she does all day. And then there's a reality called as the owner, as you just described, you're managing this living, breathing organism, child thing that has all these other complexities and nuances. Um, do you do you enjoy that part of it? Like, are there parts of that that you love? Parts of it that you hate? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely both aspects. I think I've I've come to learn that whatever is uncomfortable for me. Like I kind of hated it at first. Like I would maybe try to avoid it, (laughs) but like, again, advice from my lawyer is like, um, not making a decision is a decision. Mm. And like this idea that you can't avoid it. It's going to either become toxic and kill it, or it's going to cost you more money in the long run. So I'd rather just be decisive and make a decision and live with it and at least be working towards solving solving the problem 
um, I don't know if that solved your answered your question, but I think um, it's just the things that make you uncomfortable. You have to learn to get excited about dealing with, like having a conversation with somebody over performance or attitude or something like that is never comfortable. But especially because I genuinely like really like all of the people that work for me. That's like one of the main reasons I would would hire somebody or not hire somebody is like, do I like them? Do I want to be around them? It's not so much like their talent. It's like, do I want to invest my time and energy into this person? You know? And so, so I, I feel very strongly that if something makes me uncomfortable now, it kind of gets me excited to, to tackle it. You know, I might over prepare for it or overthink it a little bit going into it, but, but that I, that I schedule the meeting, have the conversation, and just go for it. That's okay. That's an, actually an interesting point there because you just said. Well, I'll, I'll paraphrase what I heard you saying, and you tell me if I'm if I'm onto something. What I heard you say is when I feel uncomfortable, there, that's a flag or that's a trigger that I have more to learn, or this is an opportunity to to maybe grow up a little bit and face this thing and make a decision. Is that, is that a bit of what you were saying? Yeah, that's absolutely it. Before I would feel uncomfortable. I feel like not like, who am I to say this to this person or something like that? But, but at the end of the day, like you want to help them in their career, whether it's a person or, uh, you know, again, there's so many situations like where you might have to have a hard conversation with a client say like what you're asking for just isn't working. Like you got to stop. Like, We've showed it to you 15 different ways. Do you want to finish this job or not? And just have like a real come to Jesus with them. You know, those are hard, hard things to do um, with people. And, and some people just don't do them. And as a result, like you've kind of created a paradigm for the relationship to exist in that space forever. Um, And, and for me, like, Now I just like want to have those conversations. I'm like, I'll do it. I'll have the call. I'll make the call right now. I'm always talking to my EB. He's like, it's too soon. It's too soon for the call, Aaron. Stop getting excited about these conversations. But I'm like, I'm ready to go. You know, the harder the conversation, sign me up because I'm ready for it because I don't like things to linger or, you know, but he's good. He's a good counterbalance to me because where I would like attack something right away um, to have the conversation. He's like, give it a day or two. Let's see how things shake out. So he's like a really great, um, counterbalance to me, but yeah, you're right. Like run towards the fire. I'm very much like that. Run towards the fire, have the conversation, pull the plug, do the thing that is super uncomfortable because something has to shift and change. Well, there's a, I think there's a real maturity there from, you know, I, I had, some of that in my journey, I certainly see it in a lot of different owners, but there's a leaning into that and, and a leaning forward, like you said, running towards the fire. That's pretty interesting because I, if I was going to ask you, do you, would you say earlier in your career, you would avoid <laughs> these conversations and avoid confrontation and kind of hope that things will just figure themselves out and work themselves out. And then the third, the fifth, the 20th time you realized this doesn't serve me or my team or even really the client, you start to realize there's a better way. Yeah, yeah. 100% accurate what you just said there, without question. 
You know, that is something that's learned. And, you know, I think about people going, I get MBAs and I wonder, is there a class on uncomfortable conversations? That's a, that's a good one. There should be, right? There should like be. Because uh... that's kind of what I feel like. I feel like this 10 years or 11, whatever it's been, has been like, just like a crazy MBA degree. <laughs> yeah. I think of it as like the journey of the creative entrepreneur is just a lifelong school. That's that's really all this is, right? <laughs> you get you get to show up every day and go, all right, what what do I have to learn next? Uh, because the problems just keep coming, the industry keeps evolving. I'm sure you you know are every day pivoting and getting through things like pandemics and other things. So I can only imagine what you're learning now is very different than what you were learning back when you started. Yeah. I mean, we've always done the being flexible and nimble um, thing pretty well. And I think that served us in the long run that, you know, we're more like a jet ski than a, than a yacht. <laughs> we can swerve around. We can, we can pivot real quick if people need us to. Um, and both executionally, creatively, budgetarily. So we're not... We're not as rigid, maybe, as the old days were. Well, I'm curious. I, I'm wondering, has there been a intentional decision on your part over the years <clears throat> to err on the side of, let's not grow, let's actually stay about here because this will allow us to remain flexible and, and we can maintain some agility? Well, I always talk about like the sweet spot. At a certain point, I'm not going to make more money. Like me personally, as an owner, I'm not going to make more money. Like we can go from 6 million to 10 million to 20 million. At some point, like I'm going to plateau because the monstrosity of it all is just going to become unwieldy. So it's really about finding that sweet spot where you can have, I can make a really good living and my, I can pay my people really well and I can, you know, provide good all the things <laughs> good coffee good health care good <laughs> well i i I'm, I'm hearing you say there's almost a sweet spot called okay we're big enough that we can solve really interesting problems and we have incredible diversity of talent and resources uh we can plug people in and move things around to, to tackle those sorts of things but we're still small enough that um I'm not going crazy and spending all my time figuring out HR problems and hiring people all the time and trying to figure out spaces to put them in and, and so forth. So there's some sort of a, like you said, sweet spot there. Is there a size number? Like when you think of just a head count, like it feels like that's about 15 people or 20 people. And obviously there's a bunch of freelancers in that mix as well. So, yeah, I think like the, the sign that you're too big is that you have to spend too much on sales to keep to keep feeding the beast, right? Like, yep. if you got to give 10% of your jobs away all the time, just to keep the beast moving, and then you're focusing getting on getting more salespeople to, to kind of keep up, you're, you're probably chasing the wrong, the wrong thing. Um, I think the sweet spot is between 20 and 30 people mm -hmm. um you can have like a, a nice internal team admin team to to keep everybody 
taken care of. You can have a healthy IT department. Um, that's not just one guy and hope that he doesn't get sick, you know? Um, so (laughs) you, so that, so have like the, and then enough producers to really manage the amount of jobs that are going on, um, because they're your communication points with clients. So you got to train them and kind of, they're like actually the most important part of your staffing because they're, they're really the ones communicating with the client and kind of ushering the artists along and helping them get what they need and making them feel supported and communicated on behalf of. So, so that's a really big deal. So making sure we have enough of those that are well trained <laughs> in our ways, well, I, you know? Yeah. Well, that I would, I would heartily agree for some time. I've been working on a, a pet project of just doing a podcast with a bunch of producers in the industry, because I feel like, they are such the unsung heroes, right? The creatives obviously get all this credit and glory and recognition, um, which is fine and well-deserved. But the producers, I feel like, are the, they're the ones that really keep the machine going. And I think as an owner, you probably experienced this. The difference, um, the, day, the day you hire your first great producer is the day that everything changes and you forever look back and say, wow, why didn't I do this a long time ago? Well, as an artist, I always had my favorite producers that I would tether myself to because they would always take good care of me. So from day one, I always had an amazing producer at my side. Um, so that's just been part of your secret yeah. sauce. Yeah, right I day, think, yeah, I would say like we're producer run. Like it might be my name on the door and I, certainly I'm really good at solving problems and creative, but like you gotta, you gotta get through the producers to get to me, you know? I love it. Producer run, right? That's, that's, that's one of those moments when people say, wait, what? I, I, thought, I thought it was creative run. I mean, like, but, that's what we make. That's what we sell. But somebody's got to put a price on it and assign a certain number of artists and make sure they're the right artists. And that's really the producer creative director team navigating that water together as a team. And for me, there's not a producer, they're a creative producer. They're helping problem solve. They understand our tools and techniques and who'd be right on the job and who'd be wrong on the job. Or, you know, they're the ones that have to walk up to the artist and say like, the next two weeks are gonna be brutal because this just happened, you know? So they gotta have the right temperament and attitude and be supportive and nurturing. There's a lot, there's a lot to it, you know? They really, and different producers have different styles, and you know, it's it's there's a real art to it. And I think if you take a step back when you look at who really owns the majority of these kinds of studios, it's producers, it's executive producers. It's because they know how to talk to clients, they know how to get work, they know how to make people comfortable. For the most part, creatives just make clients feel uncomfortable. Like, oh my god, are you what are you gonna do? Like, like, so. And producers are there to be like, no, 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 we understand the deadline. You're going to be fine. Everything's okay. You know, so they're essential. And they got to make sure there's a paradigm set for the job that's based on schedule and money. And if the client is getting a little ASCII too muchy, you know, they could be overagey. <laughs> you know, it's just, but there's a way of doing that. It's not like a job's over. Here's your 50 overages. For the same cost of the job, you gotta say, "Hey, like, you gotta, 
talk to your client, we're getting close to overage territory. You know, you got to. I love that you just made a gerund. Like I would say there's hemorrhaging, but there's also just overaging. (laughs) You're not quite hemorrhaging yet, but we're overaging. So we're getting nervous. Yeah. So there's ways of handling that. And that's all, again, just being people and being human with people and, you know, having a company kind of style and personality. So I'm curious to, to maybe get your perspective on something bigger picture, and that is our, our, our industry, right? You've been around long enough to see it going through changes and shifts, and obviously this year has been unlike any other. But I'm curious just to get your sense of are the changes that you feel like you're bumping up against and having to figure out and navigate do those still excite you and challenge you or do they more frustrate you make you mad interesting what's your sense i think i don't know it's like a game of dodgeball out there right like the industry has changed so much in the 10 years i feel like this pandemic has just been like the cherry on the top of it it's like just one more. But I, you know, we started out as a motion design company. We set type, we animated it, we did all designy kind of commercials with stock, with existing footage. Maybe we shot like an insert here or there. And we've transformed into a full production company that does live action um, through visual effects. And I mean, for these Marvel jobs, they're no joke. You deliver stereoscopic 4K. It's and, and you're not in some like Rec 709 situation. You're in a LUT or in linear color space. And like designers don't know from that. Like none of them do unless they're working on these big features. That that requires a pipeline, a tested, tried and true pipeline. And and so we've really evolved from like a scrappy little design studio, motion design studio into kind of like a powerhouse VFX production live action company, you know? And and the reality is, is we're just makers. We're making stuff and we're making it at a high production value. And, you know, what used to either be like a movie, a TV show or a commercial is now vertical, horizontal, square, going here, going there, being used for this, like the usages for everything is just all over the place. Now we're doing stuff for in stadium for, um, you know, brand, you know, brands doing keynotes we're doing. I mean, the deliverables lists are just crazy now. They're just crazy. And, and it's going to keep getting that way. But I think about it as like, hey, man, we're just makers. What do you got going on? And we'll problem solve it. Is it in a space? Okay, it's in a space. What kind of space is it like? Is it is it in, on a device like this? Is it on a device like this? Like, what are we working with here? And And we figure it out. And we make sure we have the specs and we test things and we test our pipeline and, and, and then we run. And then we make it happen. From the business standpoint, do you feel like the industry is also changing and in positive ways like do you feel like yeah we're we're in a, we're we're strong obviously the the pandemic threw you i'm sure a big curveball like it it did others but when you look ahead to next year do you say yeah i mean we're we're strong we're continuing to figure it out 
I feel like the industry is uh, is still a, a strong and healthy place and maybe becoming healthier? Or do you sometimes say, I don't know, this is this is concerning and I don't I don't like that. I think that's a threat to either my business or the industry at large. Yeah, well, I, at first, you know, like the the pandemic, it was, we were like, is this it? You know, <laughs> is this where, where we finished? You know, um, everything we had in our pipeline just evaporated and we had to invest heavily in going remote and making sure our team was safe. And so like everything, you just make a decision and you upgrade all the computers, you get everybody at home, you get everybody set up with Teradici and make sure everybody at home has internet that's good quality. Um, and, and then, you know, the emergencies started happening. You know, we have this job, it was gonna shoot, but now we can. And so it was like, whew, okay, we got through this month. <laughs> There's something, it was a hectic month, but we got through. And then another little campaign pops up and you're like, okay. And then you start realizing like, hey man, nobody can shoot. People need scrappy, resourceful people to make stuff for them. And then you realize like, hey, the message is changing every five seconds. You have not just COVID, but you have movements happening around the country. Brands are fiercely attacking. <laughs> like, how are we going to talk about this? How are we? And, and they're testing things out and they're making stuff. And there's very few people that you can't just go turn on a camera and shoot anymore willy nilly. So, um, so business has been going pretty well considering everything, you know, everything could be gone next month. I mean, I say that right now because we just don't know. It's like people say unprecedented and it really is unprecedented. Like it's, remarkable what's been happening but yeah like I, every day I just feel grateful that the phone rings and <laughs> and somehow or the emails come in and there's a board attached and you know we're seeing more boards probably than ever but also less of them are moving forward because people are just trying to figure something out what to say in this environment like hey what would it take to make this and again we're just problem solvers so we get on the phone we talk them through it and then you know, people are almost like relearning that you can be all in on design and that it doesn't always have to be live action. So I think that's going to be good for us. And I think there are trends too. I mean, this wasn't at the heart of what your question was, but when I started the business, kind of design was cool and fresh and you saw all these car commercials and these kind of um, amazing illustrated worlds like PSYOP was king, everything just happiness factory all around right like that was the look and the vibe but then like dry comedy became the thing and with dry comedy came just a logo not animated white over picture and guess what that was bad for people like me companies like me because there were a lot of us out there and we were like where are all these big design jobs they all just kind of evaporated and and then like big anthem spots came in. And again, that's just titling, maybe over picture, but mostly they just wanted it to be very human and very diverse. Right. And it's like, okay, what Manifestos happened? Yeah. and things like that. So, so it was like, oh man, when is design gonna come back? When is design gonna come back? And I think, you know, Facebook, Google, 
they had interesting problems to solve that they couldn't necessarily do with pictures of people and driving around in cars, right? Like that's, they needed icons. They needed people to understand their, their system and ways of communicating, getting their interfaces into the world in this natural organic way. And that became, I think the foundation for all this illustrated, I wouldn't say like glorious, beautiful clip art animation. <laughs> You know, like, I, and I say that deeply respectfully because it is an amazing art form and it's, it's designed, you know, but that isn't necessarily what I love typography and composition. And it's just a different style than I, I am all about a more magic realism and um, classic editorial type cool stuff like that a little bit of product moving around beautiful lighting all that stuff and uh, and so it took a little bit but i think now people are like oh we can make high production value stuff in the box with people like me and my studio and that's awesome that's just you know amazing well there's something interesting there though i think about the trends that is that is relevant to this question about our industry um, you reminded me of a chat I was having with uh, Jay at Giant Ant because he was he was mentioning that when the economy was really hot and things were really clicking, let's say a year or two ago, that the demand was increasingly shorter form and we're, we have 10-second deliverables. We have five-second deliverables. We have two-second deliverables. We're getting down to almost... We're just going to be creating web banners that we say are animated, but they're really just this blip of a thing. But then the pandemic hits and something shifts because life slows down. We've all become more reflective. The way we're consuming, digesting, finding content is changing. And he just noted that hey, there's now this appetite and demand for things that are 30 and 60 and 90 and three and five minutes. I'm curious if you are sensing a similar trend out there. Things are getting longer and shorter, you know. Longer and shorter. Yeah, things are getting longer and shorter. Um, so when you're scrolling, you have three seconds, logo, quick message, bite size. Do Do that for me, right? Like, one get one one idea one thought one message right but over i would say it's happening way before the pandemic hit i think maybe the pandemic might be speeding it up but people want i think the younger generation um what is it gen z they want to feel like they share the same values as the brands they use you know that that they connect in another way that their money isn't just going to the head of Walmart you know but that yeah. there's something that they connect to about it and so i think in general brands have been looking for ways to to connect with that market and that audience and it makes sense that they would get into some kind of storytelling um and it's really interesting that you mentioned that because I'm in the process right now of finishing up a three-part doc series that we pitched and filmed through COVID 
Um, it's about, oh, wow. yeah, it's about um, three amazing individuals, each different story, a short doc for each one that are living with um, this very rare um, autoimmune disease called myasthenia gravis. And it's endlessly fascinating. And these, the people really are what make it shine. But I have a couple directors on my roster. One of them is Ben Strang. He directed it. And I produced produced some movies. I used my entertainment contacts and we built a team of producers and editors and amazing DP, uh, David Bolin. And we produced this amazing content for essentially for a brand. So, and so it was like a brand funded editorially independent project. And it was just a way for them to learn more about the community and to have the community kind of have a resource because uh, it's such a rare disease. They don't have like walkathons and ice bucket challenges, mm-hmm. things like that. So to create something that people can see themselves in other people and and there is going to be a bigger market for that. And I think, you know, when you think about that, I mean, perhaps if I were at a brand, I'd be like, oh, I got to go to Radical Media or I got to find a director specifically that does documentaries or, you know, you might you might have a specific way about it. But like it's this idea, adapt or die for me, you know, like I'm not the only director on our roster anymore and my skill set, my personal skill set has absolutely evolved beyond kerning and 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 design decisions it's gotten much more into narrative and storytelling and you know writing and and being a bigger thinker about things um so it it only makes sense that my career should continue to evolve into directing longer format into producing longer format and my studio is we're just makers so we just got to find the right thing i think the key to being the size that we are and as nimble as we are is the the little black book of creative talent and years of relationships and and building and building friendships not just you know oh i know this guy i met him once you know what i mean so it's interesting like now i'm gonna know you and you're gonna be a part of my lexicon and i'm gonna call you when i have a question and you're gonna call me when you have a question and it's because like yeah, it's- of an approachableness and, and a realness that I have with people and people can trust that they're going to get honesty from me and they're not going to get a bunch of bullshit. Um, they're not going to be sold to. If it's something I can't make, I'll tell them who I think can make it, who I think they should talk to. I'm just a connector. I'm a maker thing. I make things happen. I make stuff. So, Well, you're describing, you're describing a, really a quite um, beautiful, optimistic uh, world right there. And it's funny because you, you actually just answered a really interesting question that I've been, I've actually been having this long conversation with Ryan Summers, you know, who is, thank you, Ryan, for introducing you and I, and this, we've been asking this question called, you know, yes, motion design is this thing that's only been around maybe a generation, if even 15 years. Yeah. Yeah. But as a, let's call it an art form or maybe as a discipline. So it's not just this, yeah, we use this thing. It makes pretty pictures. Uh, if I was going to say, what are some unrealized ways or uh, opportunities where it's going to impact the future in different ways? 
you just started describing it right there. Yeah. That your the discipline that you've developed, and of course, part of that is also those those relationships and those soft skills that mm-hmm. go in there that, that you and your team possess. But it's really interesting when I think about the next generation of motion, motion design, content, even production, that I feel like there's some really interesting problems that we're just now getting a sense of, wait a minute, this discipline can be brought to bear over there. And it goes way beyond like, oh, Facebook needs iconography that moves in order for me to navigate their app. That's, That's great. That's cool. You know, thank goodness it's, it's, we're going in those directions. But I think there's a lot more out there. Is that your same sense? Yeah, I mean, I always kind of have this thought of like, where did all of my contemporaries go? Right? Like, hmm. uh, <laughs> like, is there like an old age home with all these motion designers? Like their careers evolved, right? So, and they're in brands now, some have become directors, some have moved out, gone industry adjacent, you know, there's, it's, it's really like a cool stepping stone. But I think about, the way I think about it is this, is like, if I'm in school to be a designer, like if I'm going to school, if you are not learning motion design in some capacity, you're not leaving school employable, right? Like. If you are a graphic designer that is leaving school and you don't have some basic understanding of at least how your work can be interpreted in motion, how to be thinking about it in terms of a narrative story um, or uh, an interactive kind of component, you you did not get a complete education. <laughs> so that's a really that's really interesting though because yeah, you're right. The way I think of it. What you're saying is a graphic designer is solving spatial problems for the most part. I'm, I'm generalizing. Yep. Whereas a motion designer is solving spatial and temporal problems. And as human beings, we live in, guess what, time and space. Yeah. Right? So there's something interesting there. And I, I definitely meet occasionally owners who run firms that are graphic design right. agencies, studios, what have you. And I wish I could help them but I feel like the really juicy interesting problems out there are out of reach yeah for them so it's it's heartbreaking because I know they have these enormous talents and skills but the, it's what you're describing is there's you've got to have this ability to take everything you have and convert it and leverage it into the future right like if you're designing a logo and you're not also considering how it's going to be animated totally useless if you are designing a billboard and you're not thinking about how it's going to come and go and how it might relate to the one before and after it, because everything's a digital billboard now. If you, I mean, it's just the reality, you know, <laughs> it's just the reality It's everything is a, a narrative storytelling now. Very few things are just an image to look at. So oh, I love the context there that you're the, right. That word storytelling that, we 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 use a lot and some people complain bitterly because it's such a cliche but you're making this point that even a logo getting from point a to point b is in some form a narrative mm-hmm. thing there is a story even how it shows up how it goes away and that's powerful right. when it's done 
elegantly and beautifully or whatever the, the problem is at hand, there's something really valuable there. Right. Pentagram. I love Pentagram. I'm like a huge fan of all the things Pentagram. And they're, you know, I follow them on social media and they're starting to kick out motion design. And I'm like, yeah, of course you are. How could you not be? <laughs> of course you are, right. Yeah, right. of course you are. I, I always say, like, I want to be, solvers. exactly, I want to be the Pentagram of motion design, right? But how is Pentagram not the Pentagram of motion design? Mm. How did they miss that, well, well, that boat, right? <laughs> I'll have to uh, Call I'll have to reach out yeah. and uh, have them on the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> ask them that question. Yeah, Aaron how wants are you to not know. the pentagram? Aaron Sorosky. Yeah, how are you not the pentagram of motion design? design? <laughs> <laughs> like that's my goal. Well, it's <laughs> but you know, it's interesting is pentagram and I could name other names. Yeah, Landor. I would say our ca- yeah our category creators. Yeah, right. Like I think pentagram created a category. I would submit like Imaginary Forces created a category called mm-hmm. film title motion design back a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, I could say PSYOP. I could say The Mill. There's certain names where we say, oh yeah, oh, yeah, they created a category. And to a certain extent, they have this luxurious position because they can always leverage that right. in ways that other shops will less, to a lesser extent, be able to right. exploit that. But then the interesting question becomes, well, what's Aaron's studio's category, right? Yeah. Like, what's the Sarovsky category? Yeah. And I think you know you're building a category. You're creating a category. Yeah. It's just, it takes time and intention and diligence, and you eventually discover your genius is going to be brought to the world in this specific way, and you get to own it. Yeah, well, I mean, I definitely have a very clear vision of what I'm building now. I mean, in the beginning, I was just like, I wanted to be in Chicago. I wanted to make things for cool people, like, you know. But I have a very clear view of what my, what I want to be in the world and the kind of mark I want to make and how I want to make it. And, you know, the way the Eames were to furniture and design and filmmaking, I want to be that. I want to create a category where there is overlapping where I can make short films and that short doc films and that makes sense but I can also produce a badass main title for Marvel or even maybe Marvel could call me to direct a short for them or something like that I that that is very interesting to me and you know it's not about you know putting it in a sexy place like it could be a a Times Square billboard or a billboard in the back of the taxi cab I don't care. Is it an interesting creative challenge? Is it something that I know I could deliver for you on? Um, that's that's what I want to do. You know what I mean? Is it something in space? Is it like an experience at like Disney World or something like that? Cool. We're in. We'll we'll figure something out and make it work and have it be interesting and different and appropriate for that thing. You know. But yeah, I just. And that gets down to problem solving, being creative problem solvers and and doing the best you can with your schedule, with your budget, with, you know, your client's ability to, to flex in the in the universe. If you have a very conservative client, you're only going to be able to push them so far, you know, and if they're, you know, open like Nike, it's like, well, crazy. What can we do for Nike? You know, well, I love that you uh, I've been watching you here on Zoom and others don't have the benefit of seeing you but this whole topic you you just went into here like this is lighting you up yeah i can see there's this excitement and enthusiasm there's an optimism about hey what's out there for you yeah and your team 
Yeah. Well, the world is changing. I think for me, the biggest challenge is, is how do people find me or know about me and my studio in this context? So that's going to be, I think, the next big challenge for me as a studio owner is to say like, hey, Sarovsky's here and we make cool shit and we just need to hear about your problem and we will come up with really amazing, creative, driven solutions that that are all about talking to whoever you want to talk to, whoever your audience is. That could be inventing like a little Quibi show, right? I can bring in writers, we can make some shows, or it could be um, coming up with like a motion branding piece for whatever you're trying to advertise or create or a platform you're inventing. You know, maybe you just need some behind the scenes work to build templates for your for your company to use. That's an important aspect too. I mean. We don't just deliver renders anymore. We deliver packages of files for people. Really, every every day is another thing. And I think instead of being on, on the side of it where we're being reactionary and keeping up, I've just kind of moved into this position of like, you know what? I'm going to be thoughtful. I'm going to go after the things I want to go after. I'm going to talk about the things I want to do. Um, I'm going to be purposeful about, much more purposeful about the people I'm hiring to have like this diverse bed bedrock so that we can pivot. And again, building that black book of creative talent is essential to making sure that I can deliver, you know, on what I'm promising. Well, you just used one of my favorite words there when you said position, you know, how I'm positioning myself, my studio, because I love the dream you just described of, I think I'm entering this season where how we're positioned meaning what we say to the world and where we fit into people's brains, yeah. right? There's that they, they perceive and understand who we are and the value that we create and the problems that we, that we solve. And there's a specificity to it. Um, I think as you, as you figure that out, it is going to be tremendously powerful because I've seen other studios go through that, yeah. that similar transition. And it's like the next chapter when that reputation and positioning, as we call it, mm-hmm. does become a really powerful asset in your uh, absolutely in the right. You know, in the journey of your studio. So I'm, yeah, I can't wait to see that. Yeah, continue to emerge. Yeah, no, we're definitely working on our branding and our thoughtfulness about how we talk about ourselves. And you got to work on yourself. You know, it's like going to the gym. Eventually, there will be some results, but. You know, it's definitely even changed the way I think about our future and what I want to, what I specifically want to be doing, what I want the studio to be doing, and kind of people I want to attract from a client perspective and, you know, a talent perspective. There's, there's really a lot of opportunity out there. I think, like I said, the biggest thing is, is finding the decision makers that can hear, hear me talk. To, to or for me to listen to them and say like well have you thought of this or that like you can do that like you can make stuff in that category there's no reason you can't you know well i would i would predict that aaron's going to be continuing to take the stage <laughs> we'll as as the future unfolds because you have strong opinions and yeah and people want to hear those opinions and then it's just a question of well are we a fit exactly then let's then let's work together. And that's kind of a beautiful thing. Yeah. I never um, want to be like, oh, let's just go there. We know like we'll get something okay. 
I, I want to be the place that, oh, we're going to get a strong point of view. We're going to have somebody that's capable of making decisions when we're a little bit wishy-washy, that is going to have our best interests in mind, not their best interests in mind, that's going to ask good questions that lead to good, tangible results. You know, sometimes people get on the phone and they're like, how do I even comment about this? And I say, okay, well, if I were you, this is what I would tell me. I would say, a character's a little bland, like liven it up, like it should be quicker, like I'm not feeling this aspect. And I get like real, and they're just like, holy shit. <laughs> like you just said like some gnarly stuff about your work, you know? So I'm like, well, cause it's work in progress. Like this is, if I were you, this is what I would say about it because I know what I'm hoping to achieve with it. And then they just feel confident if you could look objectively at your work like that and, you know, be open to change and evolution, then they just feel much more comfortable, you know? That is such a cool snapshot of being that, uh, I would call it expert guide, yeah. right? You're being that, you're that Sherpa who's saying, well, you said you want to get to the top of the mountain. If you're asking my opinion, we're going the wrong way. <laughs> we should go, we should go over there because I feel like that's going to lead us over a cliff. But based on my experience, if I were you, this is how we're going to get there. Yeah. And yeah, when someone experiences that in a transparent yeah. honest way that's when you're building some serious trust yeah or i like the like uh can we get on the phone we're having a problem you know a client's like wait a minute what you want to you want to talk to us early before the review was scheduled on the schedule and it's like yeah i need your opinion before we invest more time we're we're at a yellow brick road moment we need your thoughts on this you know they people love to feel included and to be a part of the decision. And of course, I'm always gonna have a recommendation and I'm always allowed to be wrong or overruled by a client, that's fine. But usually the options I'm giving are options that I'd be fine with. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's like a yes. toddler, you know, here, do you wanna wear the red shoes or the blue shoes? They Yes, not, not what shoes do you wanna to wear today? <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, here are two great options that I'm gonna be super psyched with the results about. You know, uh, it's been great getting your uh, your perspective. And it, there's so many bits of wisdom and and knowledge and understanding that I've obviously you've earned well, uh, the, the hard the, way. The hard way, like a lot of yeah, like a lot of us have. So I'm uh, I'm incredibly grateful for you um, hopping on and sharing your oh, no your worries. perspective and dropping some little wisdom bombs on us. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what people think. <laughs> well, I'm going to be uh, cheering you on from the sidelines and uh, very excited to see where the studio goes from here and congrats on uh, on pivoting through the madness of this year. Yeah, I mean, I think like when you own a company, thanks, I know you're trying to wrap up and I think that I'm being one of those people that keeps a conversation going on Zoom way too long. <laughs> but I think like the thing about owning a company is that you have to be open to to evolution, to like, there are stages that a company goes through and and each stage looks very dramatically different and that's good because if you're staying exactly the same something is super wrong well you're now you're touching on that thing earlier when you said if i feel uncomfortable right. or i'm facing something awkward i've learned the better path is to listen to that trigger yeah and lean into it and similarly, it sounds like part of your success 
has been as an owner, it's time for us to pivot. Okay, I'm not going to avoid it. I'm going to confront it. Yeah. And and once you kind of get used to that, it, it does become your superpower, right? The ability to do that. And then once you've learned to do that, you're more apt to do it before you have to do it, right? Like I'm creating these short doc series because two years ago I had this idea like, hey, why aren't brands creating entertainment content? And I just started kind of planting some seeds with some clients and they got to me early in the process. Like, and they're like, I have this unique challenge. I'm like, this is the time for this idea. Like we should, we should pitch this. And it happened and it was made. And now they're gonna, one of them is premiering at the Chicago Film Festival, one of these docs, you know? It made a film festival, a juried film festival. <laughs> it's incredible, you know? And then, you know, they'll all premiere on, you know, on the web and then we'll go through the film festival circuit. But that was a pre-pivot. I don't have to pivot into filmmaking. I've already done it because I saw it and I wanted to do it and it was interesting. And I started working late and writing decks and calling friends in entertainment going, hey, have you ever had a brand call you? Like, how would you do this? Like, you know, and and just talking about it and building it and and then it happened, you know, but it, I was prepared for it to happen because I had I built the foundation for it. Well, I'm paraphrasing, but I love this thing that Peter Drucker is famous for having said, and this is a rephrasing, that the best way to deal with the future is to create it. Right. Right? And that's a bit of what you're saying. And I think there's something very optimistic and powerful there um, that I'm sure people are hearing and saying, oh, okay, that's exciting. Right. Let's try that. Well, what's interesting about the world, right, with all the devices and TVs and eyeballs, really, um, is that more than ever, more content is needed. <laughs> more and more and more and more and more. And there aren't that many more companies making things. Um, you certainly have agencies trying to make things to varying degrees of success. That's, you know, but, but true authentic entertainer, entertainment people, you know, writers and directors, there really aren't that many of them. There are a lot of live action directors, but not many studios that really can think about a brand and a message and how to kind of gear a piece of content towards a specific person on a specific platform like we can. And um, th that's a, cate yeah, that is a, lot a of, category. That is. There is, and there's a lot of opportunity out there because that, that appetite for yeah. design and for motion and for content and all that is not going away. Yeah anytime soon yeah but I, especially as especially as every brand wakes up and says we have to be a content network we have to be you know feeding an audience it's yeah. i think the opportunities are going to continue to multiply absolutely absolutely i just gotta make it like a phrase brand funded editorially independent <laughs> you know mm. brand funded okay. editorially independent that's like my mantra here that's what i'm trying let's to go make that uh Let's make that the category. Yeah, because if you think about it, if a brand funds a show, right? Like they're essentially, it's a point of view. Like I could see like Rocket Mortgage, right? They, they're known for these really funny commercials. They use a lot of entertainment talent and directors to create them. Why not make a show on Quibi? You know what I mean? Like why not do mm -hmm. that? Like you're, you're in that 
you're an inch from that category, but who's going to put that team together for them? How would they even know where to start, you know, or what the show should be about or how to build it out, you know, how to create that connection or relationship, you know, and it's just a different, it's just a different thing. And there's definitely an area where people like me are going to thrive because we've kind of straddled both those worlds. So maybe, maybe the next time you and I do a podcast, you can tell the story of, remember that idea we had about Rocket? Rocket, (laughs) They don't know how to do it. Well, I went and pitched that and guess what? We made a show. (laughs) We did it. And it's fucking hilarious. And you probably like it Uh, and watch it, you know? Yeah. It's awesome. All right. Well, now you've got your work and you get your homework cut out for you. It's already done somehow. Your mission, should you should you <laughs> choose, choose to, to accept, accept it. it? Yeah, one day at a time. <laughs> well, Aaron, thanks again. This is awesome. I, I'm uh, I'm really grateful for the the candor, also just the breadth of stuff we've covered, and um, especially for all of the thoughts and reflections on sort of the business and industry side of things. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. It's been really fun thinking about it, big picture. It's not often I get to do that, <laughs> so it is nice to reflect. But it's also nice to talk about the future um, optimistically, because even though we're all stuck at home in our little rooms, like we all need to be making stuff because people need stuff. You've been listening to the Rev Thinking Podcast. For more information on upcoming accelerators, events, or to learn how RevThink advises creative entrepreneurs like you, connect with us at RevThink.com. 